we're going to uh, finish our study in 2 Peter. So I'd invite you to turn your attention to God's Word in 2 Peter chapter 3. And I'm going to start reading in verse 10 and read through the end of the chapter. When I've finished reading, I'm going to pray and then we'll jump into our study together. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, we be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of scriptures, to their own destruction. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard, so you, will not, you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we come to this study this morning, and Lord, we conclude a year looking ahead to the one day other than today that matters, the coming day of the Lord. Father, would you work in our hearts to lift our attention from that which is seen to that which is now unseen, Jesus Christ? So that in the day when we do see him, we won't shrink back, but we'll have reason to see ourselves openly acknowledged and acquitted by him. Oh, Jesus, thank you for your work. May the promise of your coming and the final state of things fill us with joy and with hope. As we end this year, we pray in your name. Amen. So the, the doctrine of Jesus' return is one of the major doctrines 
of the Bible. It's mentioned more than 300 times in the New Testament. If you were to space it out, that would mean that one out of every 13 verses in the New Testament deals with the return of Christ. And if you were to summarize all that those 300 verses teach, you couldn't say it more succinctly probably than with our point for today, which is this, Jesus is coming again. Do you believe that? Jesus is coming again. There were many at the time of the apostles who began to question and doubt the second coming of Christ. And that's why in so many of Paul's letters, as Peter mentions in the passage I just read, as well as in Peter's letters, they mention that Jesus Christ is coming again. He really is. And he wants his people to be prepared, filled with hope, expecting his return at any moment. Now, we're going to finish this passage in our study this year in the book of 2 Peter, and I want us to answer three questions this morning. Jesus is coming again. How do I know? How do I know? The second question is, what do I do now? What, what do I do today? Because there's only two days that matter, today and that day. So what do I do today? How, how do I live now? And then we'll talk about the third question is, well, then how do I do that? How do I do that? How do I know? What do I do now? And how do I do that? So let's talk about why I know that Jesus is coming again. Two reasons in this text that I just read you. Verse 13, according to his promise... We are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. How do I know Jesus is coming again? Because he promised. He promised. And in Scripture, the character of the promises of God are not connected to the paper on which they're printed. They're connected to the character of the person who made the promise. Have you heard anybody talking about inflation lately? Have you heard that word? Now listen, I'm not an economist. I don't know much about economics. But basically, when inflation happens, what you can get for the money that you have is less and less, and it gets to a point where the value of the money the paper represents is less than the paper it's printed on. And it's not that way with the Bible. It's not that way with the Scripture. It's not that way with the promises of God. Because the promises of God, the Scriptures that speak of the return of Jesus Christ, aren't connected to the paper. They're connected to the person. Well, let me show you one example of that in Hebrews chapter 10. In Hebrews 10, verse 23, 
think it's 23. Let's see. Oh, yeah. Let us hold, the conf- hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So what are we to do? We're to hold fast. Why? Because of the promise of God of his return. But what is his promise connected to? His promise is not connected to our faithfulness or our perseverance or our uh, holding fast, our confession without wavering. It's connected to God, his promise, his faithfulness is what his promise is connected to. So how do I know that Jesus will return? Because he promised. And he's faithful to his promises because they're connected back to his perfect, eternal character. Risen from the dead, Jesus is coming back for his people. Now, that's the first reason. The second reason I know is that Jesus loves his church. Now look at verse 14 and verse 17. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. Verse 17. Verse 17, we read this. You therefore, beloved... Knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you will not be carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. Why do I know Jesus is coming back? Because he loves you. He loves his church. He loves his people and he will not disappoint us by not coming again to finish the work of redemption that he's promised to do. The work of redemption that's left to be done is summing up everything in himself and establishing the final state of things, a new earth and a new heavens. That's what we look forward to. And why would God do it? Why would Jesus be faithful to finish that task? Because he loves us. So we can take confidence in the promise of God. It's based on his character. We can take confidence in the love of God, the love of Jesus Christ for his people. That's how I can be confident from this passage that Jesus is coming again. Now, if that's true, If it's true that he is coming in, well, then what do I do now? What do I do today because of that day? What I do today because of that day is described in this passage first in verse 11. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in, first, holy conduct and godliness. So, in light of that day, today, what am I to do? I'm to pursue holiness in my conduct. What does that mean? Well, many people think 
that holy conduct is maintaining a set of moral ideas, mostly external behaviors. But that's not what holy conduct in the scriptures is. Certainly, there are some things that we want to avoid, right? But holy conduct is a life centered on the promise of Jesus Christ. It's a life aligned with the gospel. It's a life where my entire lifestyle is shaped by Jesus Christ. There's a verse in the New Testament that puts it this way. When Christ, who is your life, appears. See, holy conduct is letting Jesus Christ not just be a part of your life, but to be your life. Taking the authority of Jesus Christ into the very center of who you are. Developing a lifestyle centered around Jesus. Holy conduct. And then, where does that spring from? It says in verse 11, it springs from godliness. And what's godliness? Literally, the word godliness means good devotion. So how do you grow in a holy lifestyle? You grow in a holy lifestyle by having good devotion. Now, I didn't say good devotions. Now, we are going to talk about that in a minute, but good devotion means that I've plugged my life into Jesus Christ as the center. I've taken him into the very center of my life, and I'm devoted to him among, uh, before everything else. And when I see that something, anything, has become more important to my heart than Jesus. I repent. I turn away from that thing, and I go back to Jesus as my first love, my first joy, my first greatest and highest devotion. And I invite God, the Holy Spirit, to search me and know me. See if there be any unclean way within me and lead me in the everlasting way. See, a holy life flows from a good devotion to Jesus and his priorities for my life. Okay, what about in verses 13 and 14? According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, what should we do today in light of that day? We should keep looking up. Keep looking up. A Christian, as they go through life, looks up to Jesus, expecting at any moment that he may return. Now, many of us have gotten this wrong. R.C. Sproul has a, a really helpful thought on this issue of looking up, always looking out for Jesus' return. Listen to what R.C. Sproul says. I hope I've learned something from other people's mistakes in the past. For example, when, when Luther went through all of the turbulent upheaval of the Christian church in the 16th century, he was convinced 
that the fragmentation of the church at that time was the harbinger of the return of Jesus. So that was Luther, 1600s. But Luther was wrong. Now, he wasn't just wrong about that. He was wrong about other things, but he was so right about other things. Jonathan Edwards, living in the middle of the 18th century, shortly before this nation was formed as a republic, reflected on the way in which religion had declined from 1620 to 1750, and he was convinced that the world was going to the dogs and that it was running out of time and that Jesus was going to come any minute. Edwards was wrong. So when I took, when I look at two titans of theology like Martin Luther and Jonathan Edwards, and I see them making predictions and voicing their expectations of the near return of Jesus and being wrong, that gives me pause. The only thing I can say, however, is that we're 450 years closer to it than Luther and 230 years closer to it than Edwards. There's much that is going on in the world today that tells me that these are the times when Christians should be reading the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. And Peter, writing in the first century, would have said the same thing. Keep looking up. Keep looking up, looking for Jesus. Keep looking for Jesus. The next thing we see is that we are to be on guard. Verse 17. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard. Be on your guard against what? Against false teachers. We saw that in chapter 2 of 2 Peter. False teachers who downplay the bad news of the gospel and exaggerate the good news of the gospel, or who don't invite and call people to commit to the lordship of Jesus, to follow him with everything they have. Now, if you downplay the bad news, or you downplay the good news, or you don't invite a response, you're not preaching the gospel, and when people don't preach the gospel, you should be on guard against them. Because without the gospel... No one will be ready for his coming because there's only one way to be ready for Christ's return, and that's through the promises of the gospel. And that is even more clear when we look at verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. I flunked Religion 101. Like, I don't mean the, the college class Religion 101. I just mean the life of religion. I flunked it. When I went to Fellowship of Christian Athletes as a sophomore in college, I walked into that Fellowship of Christian Athletes meeting, and I saw a bunch of people who loved Jesus, and they loved each other. And some of them were actually nice to me. And I thought, I want what these people have. Have you ever had that experience? I want what these people have. You know what I did? For two weeks, 
I tried as hard as I could to be good like them. I stopped going to the fraternity houses. I stopped drinking. I stopped cussing. (laughs) You know what happened? I flunked. I was miserable. It was gross. And I went back to FCA, and I heard the gospel. That Jesus saves sinners. And I said, I am one. I've flunked religion. And a young student at Presbyterian College brought me aside and he said, Dave, have you ever received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? And I said, no. And he said, would you like to? And I said, yes. It was the easiest gospel presentation he had ever made. I flunked religion, and that's why I'm so glad to have a Savior, Jesus. The older I get, there's so many things that I can't be great at anymore. Scratch golf, not going to happen. Hole in one, ah, there's still hope. There's a few par threes on every 18. There's a chance. There's so many things, probably a sub-four marathon. It's not in my future. The NFL's not going to call, even with COVID. The NBA doesn't want me. But you know, there's one thing that Jesus says I can still do. The older I get, Jesus still invites me to fall in love with him every single day. Jesus says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I can do that. Even old and broken, I can do that, and so can you. And I can still invite people to fall in love with Jesus, and so can you. That's still available to us, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's what we do now. Between Today and that day, however many todays there are between today and that day, each day that's called today, we do those things. We grow in holiness. We pursue a holy lifestyle. We pursue godliness. We keep looking up. We grow in grace and knowledge. We're on guard against false teaching. But how do we do it? How do we do it? Where does the strength come? Where does the power come from? Well, it can only come by abiding in Jesus. So that's what I want for us this week. This is what I want for you for your whole life. Every day that's called today, I want you to abide in him. Because all of those things... Holiness, godliness, being on guard, looking up, growing in grace and knowledge. It can only happen as we're plugged into the vine who's Jesus. So let's just look at one of them, holiness. In the book Jesus Centered, the author says this, In the pursuit of holiness and standing against temptation, we cannot impress or attempt to earn our way with a holy God. Jesus Jesus' finished work on the cross is the only currency we have with God. 
We cannot and will not succeed by our own ability and strength. We need God's help and God's strength. This means abiding in Christ and relying, sometimes moment by moment, on the unfathomable power of the Holy Spirit in us. You likely can't break free on your own, but you can with Christ who is in you and for you. See, none of the things that God calls me to today can I do apart from Jesus. And so Jesus says, abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And that's good news. It's good news for me. It means that what I need more than anything to abide in Jesus is I need the gospel. That's why in verse 15, did you see the word salvation? Salvation is what Peter preached. And salvation is what Paul preached. They didn't preach religion, man saving themselves. They preached salvation, God saving sinners. And to understand salvation, we have to understand what are we saved from. We're saved from our sin. Sin is anything we think or say or do that's outside God's original design. What are we saved by? We're saved by Jesus Christ, his work on the cross, his perfect life. What are we saved for? We're saved for eternal life. No verse of scripture says it better than John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him, should not perish, but have eternal life. What's our part? Our part is to believe in Jesus. Have you? Listen, if you've believed in Jesus, if you haven't believed in Jesus, won't you? Won't you transfer your trust from your own works to Jesus' works? You know what's wrong with your works? They just don't work. But Jesus does. So put your trust in him. You can do it right where you're sitting. Or come up after the service. I would be happy to talk to you. But if you have trusted in Jesus for salvation, then go on believing him. Abide in him. Go on trusting in him. Eternal life starts now. Eternal life starts now. Listen, there are people who have unbelievably detailed charts and graphs and arrows and circles and all these ideas about Christ's return. And many, many, many of them are helpful. However, the most helpful thing that I've ever heard about the return of Christ. The most helpful thing I've ever learned about the coming of my Savior Jesus is this. 
eternal life is a gift of grace, and it starts now. I get to know and walk with Jesus now. And because of that, life now is good. Life is good. It's filled with many, many difficulties. But Jesus is with me every step of the way. So life now is an abiding life in Jesus, and life is good. When I die, it gets better. My body is still joined to Jesus, and it gets put in the ground. My soul immediately goes to be with Jesus. That's better. But the best is yet to come. The best part of eternal life is when I will be raised with Jesus and my body and my soul will be joined together in God's perfect design without sin and I will live with Jesus on a new earth. No more sickness, no more sadness, no more sin. But the no mores pale in comparison to what will be. What will be there is Jesus. He will be with us and we will see him. And for all eternity, we will have the opportunity to say, thank you, thank you, thank you. What does it mean to abide? It means to find a friend who loves you and to stay with him. Now, stay with Jesus. Now, it's good. When you die, it's better. But the best is yet to come. That's the most important thing I've ever learned about the return of Christ. It's comforted me in the loss of so many people over the years. It's encouraged me about my own closer and closer death. It's encouraged me to share with others the good news of the gospel. It's kept me going in the darkest times of life and ministry. More than any chart, graph, or diagram ever could. Those three words, good, better, best have shown me how good it is to abide in Jesus. So how do we do it? 2022 is coming. Can I just encourage you? Keep coming. Keep coming back to hear the message of Jesus. Listen, next week, we're going to start a brand new series in the book of Colossians, and we're going to be blown away at the greatness and glory of Jesus. Won't you come? Won't you take up the, the scriptures, the promises of God? They're sure and certain. Make it your goal next year to, to read through the New Testament together. Do it together. Get involved in a small group and read through the scriptures of the New Testament together through the study and through your small group experience. Jesus will become more real. 
when we hear about him on Sunday and we share him in small group, and then we go out into a world to tell others what we've been learning about the greatness and glory of Jesus. That's what it means to abide, to find a friend who loves us, and stay with him. Listen, I don't know everything that's going to happen in your life or in my life in 2022. There's so many things I didn't know were going to happen in 2021. But I do know one thing. Jesus Christ is going to be with us every step of the way. He promised. He loves you. He's with us all the way to the end. The Heidelberg Catechism in question 52 says this, What comfort is it to you that Christ shall come again to judge the living and the dead? And here's the answer it gives. That in all my sorrows and persecutions, with uplifted head, I look for the very same person who before offered himself for my sake to the tribunal of God and has removed all curse from me to come as judge from heaven, who shall cast all his and my enemies into everlasting condemnation, but shall translate me with all his chosen ones to himself into heavenly joys and glory. Don't miss it. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for the salvation that you have accomplished for your people. Jesus, every person who's ever tried to pass religion failed, except one. Jesus Christ was perfectly obedient in every respect, without sin. In his final step of obedience was to go to a cross, and on the cross bear the full and awful penalty that my sin deserves. Thank you. If you've never put your trust in Christ, his life for your life, his death instead of your death, won't you? Won't you admit to him now, Jesus, I've sinned against you in many ways. I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead. Forgive me all my sins and give me the gift of eternal life. Come into my life as Savior and Lord. Help me become the person you want me to be. If you've ended this year with that prayer, will you mark it on your card or tell someone? And Jesus, may all of us who have that hope pursue you by abiding. Now it's good. Death will make it better, but the best is yet to come. Oh, thank you for the hope and promise of your return. I pray in your name.